Some of the music tonight, did it remind you, Michael, of Hebrews? He'll never leave you or forsake you. Never, no, never alone. Let's pray and look to the Lord in His Word. Heavenly Father, thank You that we can turn to one of those great passages. The Lord Jesus writing a letter to His bride, a love letter to His church. Church greatly loved, of which we're still members of that church. So we thank You for that. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn together to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be looking together tonight at verses 7 through 13. Revelation chapter 3, an open door. You'll have an idea why there are churches all over the country that are called the Church of the Open Door. They're getting it from this passage. Verse 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Tonight, this is the sixth of seven letters to the churches in Western Asia Minor. And this is a direct letter from the Lord Jesus Christ to the church in Philadelphia. And some would say, Philadelphia? Do you mean the Philadelphia nearby? Well, yeah, I do. Um, but not directly. When it was first written, it was written to a Philadelphia in Western Asia Minor. But he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It comes down to us today. It comes down to Christians, all of these letters do, who are reflective of the things that are being written to them. In this letter, believe it or not, it's a letter to Philadelphia. There's no criticism. There's no condemnation whatsoever for this church. There was only commendation, and there was challenge, and there were some very positive, encouraging things said to this church. Jesus encouraged them by pointing out that he has complete control of opening and closing doors. The whole message hinges on the concept of an open door. He mentions that he put before the Philadelphians an open door that no one could shut. So we want to think about that open door this evening as we look at Philadelphia. It gives us a very important and a very comforting message. On a human level, I know how important an open door can be. I know how discouraging a closed door can be. I've shared with some of you before an experience I had when I was graduating from seminary. 
I dropped, after, after the graduation, I dropped my parents off at the airport and Beth was there with them to help them make their arrangements and be able to make sure they got on the plane right. My job was to park the car in the garage nearby and um, a couple of hours later, I had missed my parents' flight and uh, Beth was probably thinking at the time, it's easy for me to get lost. I have a real bad sense of direction. So just going from dropping them off at the airport to the garage, not too terribly far away, I could have easily ended up in Wisconsin or somewhere nearby, but I didn't. Uh, Instead, I parked on the fifth level at the garage, got on the elevator, and as I got on the elevator and it was going down to the level I needed to go to at the bottom, I was aware that the elevator was going a whole lot faster than any elevator I'd ever been on before. Wasn't a free fall. or I would have been killed, but it went down and it crashed. And there I was in that elevator, and I was there for at least those two hours while my parents came and went. And uh, at this time, I think even Beth realized I probably wasn't lost. Something was going on. Well, what was going on is that I was there on the elevator behind a closed door that I could not get open. It had crashed maybe 18 inches below the floor level, and it just sat there. There was nothing that I could do except push that button. And that bell rings, but that bell must have been on a battery or somebody got tired of hearing it ring because it didn't ring for a terribly long time, and then I pushed and nothing was happening. I finally found that I could get somebody's attention if they came close enough to the bottom of the door from where they were on the outside. And I got two people's attention about a half hour or more apart. And um, these people, when I was, I was yelling through the bottom and I was trying to tell them I was trapped in the elevator, but nobody ever came to help me until one lady came. And one lady came and I got her attention and I told her what was happening. I told her I'd been in there for a couple of hours. And she almost went hysterical. I could hear her from where I was. She's outside there yelling, there's a man who's been trapped in here for two hours. And the next thing I know, there must have been four or five guys put their shoulders to the door, actually broke it wide open. And um, I appreciated an open door, knowing what a closed door was like. I went, paged, found Beth, came back. Still, nobody from the airport had come to my help. But these individuals did because of one lady who called for help. So we've got an open door that I hope we appreciate when we get through seeing what this open door is all about. What exactly was this open door that Jesus was speaking about to Philadelphia, uh, the people of the church in Philadelphia? Could apply to two things. Could apply to an open door to salvation. Because remember, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. So when Jesus says, I have an open door in front of you, it could very well be the door of salvation. He's reminding them of the fact that they have access to him who is the door, who's the way, the truth, and the life. But it could also mean here an open door to serving the Lord and sharing the Lord Jesus Christ with others. And it could mean both of these at the same time. But Jesus opens doors. That's his part. Our part is to go through the doors when they're open. Very often the door leads to a particular kind of service. That service very often is spreading the message of the gospel. But look at this with regard to general service and an open door in the Scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, 
the Apostle Paul is writing and he's saying, I could stay in Ephesus. Why? For a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So this door that is open is for effective work. It's open to him. It doesn't say exactly what the effective work is, but the Apostle Paul was not talking about tent making there. He was not talking about some kind of work other than sharing about the Lord Jesus Christ. So in a general sense here, but still I believe that it's pointed to the idea of evangelism. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, the Apostle Paul said, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ... Even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, he says his spirit was not at rest because he didn't find Titus there. He wanted to find Titus. And so he went on to Macedonia. But the point is he came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and a door was opened to him there at Troas. We see evangelism also in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. In Colossians 4, 3, at the same time, the Apostle Paul says, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. And he wants to make sure, the next verse says, that I make this gospel message clear. Please pray for me that, that the Lord will open a door. I want to declare the mystery of Christ. It's why I'm in prison. I want to be able to do that, and I want to be able to do it clearly. And so to the Apostle Paul, when he's speaking about an open door, it's for the idea of evangelism or for salvation and evangelism at the same time. And we see that in Acts chapter 14, verse 27 as well. He says, And when they arrived and gathered... The church gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. That door of faith had to do with the idea of salvation as a result of evangelism. And so when we see what the Apostle John has written to us here in Revelation chapter 3, or written about that Jesus is actually writing this, I've given you an open door. We've got to believe that open door that is available to believers is to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus with others. Now, this particular letter to Philadelphia was written to believers. Jesus has opened many doors of service and evangelism for us. But sometimes we get hindered by other things that come up. We become paralyzed at the threshold of the door. And sometimes I hate to say it, but sometimes it's because of indifference. Sometimes we just don't care enough about those people who don't know the Lord Jesus. This morning we talked about a literal hell. We don't care sometimes. And so indifference or selfishness or fear or self-consciousness keeps us at the threshold, but we don't go through the door. Sometimes it could be any number of things that keep us from going through there and sharing about the Lord Jesus. I bet Michael Taylor could give us a lot of possible reasons why it is that he shouldn't be doing what he's doing and where he's doing that. I'll bet you our missionaries can, but I'll bet you that there are others who are here who don't let some of these things stop them. And some of you are fantastic at going through those open doors. Some of you are absolutely amazing to me when I see you at work going through those open doors and sharing your faith in Christ with others. Well, let's look now at this church of the open door in some detail. First of all, as we've been outlining all of these letters, there is a destination. That destination, according to verse 3, once again, is Philadelphia. And we have a map that we've seen a number of times. And once again, you can see 
the order of the letters, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, were coming down the trade route. That's the way these letters went. And we'll have one more letter after this, but you can see the location and you can see also where this was being written from, and that's Patmos, the island of Patmos, just to the west of where these cities are located. Philadelphia was about 30 miles southeast of Sardis. It was destroyed by the same earthquake that destroyed Sardis in A.D. 17. So it's a relatively new city by the time this is written, about 95, we believe, A.D. And it was rebuilt by the same one who rebuilt the other cities of that area, Tiberius Caesar, known as the great builder of cities. Philadelphia was situated in what they called the Cogmas Valley. It was a very important Roman road that ran next to it. And Philadelphia was actually, and the symbolism is, is amazing, it was actually a doorway itself to large areas of the surrounding country. It had been built as a mission station to spread the Greek culture. They recognized Philadelphia being a doorway. And so when Jesus says things, they're very applicable to the church, to the location of the Christians that are there as well. I'm going to put some names on the screen now. The city was named for its founder, Attalus II, the Greek king of Pergamon. He lived in the middle of the 2nd century B.C. And you're saying, how was it named after Attalus? It's not called Attalus. Adelus Alia or anything like that, but you'll see, it's very interesting. He lived in the middle of the 2nd century B.C., became um, loyal, very loyal to his brother, Eumenes, so much so that they called him Philadelphus, which means brother-lover. And so Adelus II, the brother-lover of Eumenes, was also called Philadelphus, and the city became known as Philadelphia after Adelus II. And we wonder sometimes, well, where did that come up with that name, uh, the city of brotherly love? That's where that name comes from. Philadelphia was at the center of a great vineyard district, had a thriving business in wine, and because of that, Bacchus, the god of wine, obviously small letter G, had many devotees there in that city. And quite naturally, drunkenness was a chronic social problem in that district. Philadelphia was the youngest of the seven cities, and they say that it took great courage to live in Philadelphia. Why? Phillies? Eagles? No. Um, Traffic? Crime? No, that wasn't it at all. It took great courage because the city was full of earthquakes. One of them had destroyed the city. But in some of the other cities, and some had been destroyed as well, the earthquakes came and then they ended very abruptly. But in Philadelphia, they could feel the periodic tremors of a great earthquake for years afterward. And each time the ground shook, the people rushed out of the city in a panic. Many people in sheer panic decided not to stay in Philadelphia at all, and they went elsewhere to live. And many who left and other people would say, if you live in Philadelphia, you've got to be crazy. I have some obvious comments to make there, but I'm not going to do that. But if you live in Philadelphia, you've got to be crazy. But despite all that, Philadelphia still became a great city at that time. For centuries, it was a free Christian city in the middle of a pagan people. And even today... There are still hundreds of people who are believers in the city of Philadelphia. 
that city of Philadelphia. Except for Smyrna, all the other letters to the churches, all the other churches are in ruins. But in Philadelphia, the Christian faith is still proclaimed. Description of Christ. If you look with me at verse 7, you can see him described the words of the Holy One, the True One, the One who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. He revealed himself, first of all, as the one who's holy and true. And by revealing himself as the one who's holy, Jesus declared that he was God because God alone possesses absolute holiness. He described himself with another attribute that belongs to God. He was true. The same Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also revealed himself as the one who holds the key of David. A key in Scripture represents authority. So the one who has the key has control. He has the power. He's got the authority. A reference can be made back to Isaiah 22, 22, and I won't take the time to turn to that tonight, but in Isaiah chapter 22, 22, we're introduced to an individual by the name of Eliakim. Eliakim can be seen as a type of Christ. He was like a prime minister at the time to David in a much greater way than Eliakim, who held the keys of David literally as his prime minister, We've got Jesus who holds the government of the world on his shoulders. He can open and close any door whatsoever. And Jesus is the one who has the authority. He's got the power to sit on the throne of David as the rightful Messiah King. Will you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9 for just a minute? We're going to think about Christmas again. Isaiah chapter 9. I want us to see verse 7, but I also want us to start... In verse 6, so Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to look at verses 6 and 7. Familiar words you'll see in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. We know who that child is, and we know who that son is. We know that that's the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's the description of the one, the Lord Jesus who is here writing a love letter to the church in Philadelphia. Jesus is the one with the authority. Verse 8, there's a commendation to this church. Jesus repeated what he said to all the other churches, I know. He knows all about us. He knows all about all those other churches, and he knows here. This time he knew their works, and he knew they had little power. This may refer to their size as a congregation or their stature in the community or their ability to handle the opposition that might have been there. They had little power. They didn't compare with the opposition that was there. But it tells us the Philadelphians had kept Jesus' word, meaning they had read it, they had applied it, they had obeyed it. They had not denied Jesus' name. And in verse 10, it says they had kept Jesus' command to endure patiently. 
Hupomeno. We've seen that word before, to remain under pressure without caving in, without squirting out. We think of that watermelon seed. We think of eggshells. It's not that way. Remain under the pressure like ball bearings and to be able to use that pressure for, it, for moving things around the way they should be moved. I'm going to share with you a, a few comments about a missionary that to me, these comments are astounding that anybody could think this way. Uh, those of you that are missionaries that are among us, um, 